Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio, RCR. Time to talk sport now with Phil Tatarangi. Hi, Phil. Let's talk first about the US Open Golf. I spent Monday afternoon in front of the fire down here in central Otago where it was pretty cold. Uh, but in the end, it was a, a most intriguing finish to that US Open golf tournament with uh, a guy you'd have to say was pretty unknown coming through to beat some of the big stars of the game. What did you think of his performance down the stretch and under all that pressure? Yeah, it was pretty impressive, Pete. Good to be back on with you and to um, break down this uh, the third leg of um, of the world's golf majors for the for the men. Um, and I think there are a lot of storylines that we talked about last week. And um, one name we didn't bring up was Wyndham Clark. And so uh, there's a little bit of egg on our face, I guess. But I, it, it does speak to just how competitive the environment is of um, of world golf at the moment. We've we've talked touched on a number of different subjects in in recent times, um, but probably you know, the subject that we haven't touched on is just how deep uh, and competitive the fields are and that the winner might be not one of the the, the favourites or the, the big names that we thought of at the start of the week. Well, the thing about the US Open is that it, it quite often throws up unexpected winners, doesn't it? I think of names like Gary Woodland. I think of names like Michael Campbell, actually. I mean, you wouldn't have picked him to win it, uh, when was it, in 2005, 18 years ago. So the fact that, and, and another guy who won two majors, and I think his only tournaments going back a bit further in time was Andy North. He won two US Opens. Uh, there are a lot of players who win this tournament, and that really is, by some distance, the apex of their career. And I wonder whether Wyndham Clark would fit into that sort of category. You kind of throw in a, a, a Graham McDowell. You, Curtis Strange obviously was number one player in the world during his time, but the, the couple of majors that he won were were US Opens and back-to-back years. And so I, th- I think it probably, in in years gone by, the US Open has suited, suited a, a certain style of play. And so, you know, the, you think of Scott Simpson, you think of Webb Simpson, um, you, you think of players that maybe won't be the names that come off the you know the the tip of your tongue when you think about the the very very best to have ever played the game yet uh, the the setup of the golf courses in the past have have meant that certain styles get rewarded in this tournament and I guess the thing that we talked about last week was that this golf course was quite a bit different than that it was three par fives usually the USGA don't give you that uh, so another scoring opportunity. They there were five par threes, and a few of those, as the uh, week went on, played just a, a yard or two under 300 yards, and guys were pulling head covers. So you don't generally see that in the the world of professional golf. That that you know the very best, the very longest that play the game, are having to um, having to play with one of their longest clubs into a, a one-shot hole. And so there were all of those sorts of things. Players shooting 29 on the front nine, the, the lowest round in champion, US Open Championship history was was shot, and then 20 minutes later it was matched. Uh, there was all sorts of different things happening in this tournament, and when it was all added up, hey, the last day, if you made a lot of pars, it was still really valuable, and it was probably the, the US Open that we're a little bit more familiar with. 
All right. What about Ryan Fox? In the end, another, how would you call it, steady performance. Started well, started really well. Uh, was on the leaderboard running top 10 for a while on the first day until all the scores were in. Uh, still finished the first day inside the top 15. Slipped down the leaderboard as the tournament went on, yet still made the cut, still got himself a credible finish. How do you think you'd rank his performance, Phil? Yeah, I think it's another learning experience for, for Ryan. I mean, he's played, I think it's 17, 18 majors now, and and so is kind of used to this environment. Nevertheless, uh, hasn't played on, hasn't played at, at a, a golf course like the style of, of LA Country Club, and so you know got to um, got to experience that. I, I, the thing that I'm um, impressed with with Ryan's game is his consistency. I think in years gone by, we've seen scorecards from Ryan Fox where there's been just as many birdies as there have been bogeys. There's been the odd eagle and the odd double bogey and, um, you know, a few sixes on par fives, which for his length is, is a big no-no. But, it's, it's you know, for all of the good, there's also been a few mistakes uh, along the way. I think what he's showing now and with his performances in the States is that there's a little bit more consistency, a little bit more maturity. Um, a lot of the learning experiences that are coming his way by just being in this cauldron, playing with the best players in the world on a week-in, week-out basis, uh, are all kind of adding up to the point where he's pretty comfortable here. He doesn't have to have his best stuff to still be playing four rounds. I think what he will be taking out of it is going, OK, where do I save three or four shots over the course of the week. And if I can do that, then all of a sudden I'm finishing inside the top 10. And if you kind of hang around that, then, you, um, then you're contending for one of these big trophies. The, the one thing to keep in mind, and I think he'll, he'll tuck this under his pillow as he sleeps for the next few weeks prior to the Open Championship, is that Wyndham Clark, I think, was 44th in the official world rankings. And we'll get to talking about him here in a second. But he was, you know, he's right around the same you know, pecking order on, on the world rankings as Ryan is, yet now he's a major champion. And so, you know, although Ryan hasn't won in the States yet, he's started to get to be one of those players in, in Europe that uh, you would expect that he's going to win each season. He, he's kind of got into that echelon. And so I think for, for Ryan, three majors down, three cuts made, he's got probably his favourite. Uh, major in the open in a month's time. I think a little bit of time off, a little bit of reflection. Um, uh, I think you know his game is is in really solid shape, and maybe only just a couple of shots away from being in spectacular shape. Okay, Wyndham Clark is a name that has been popping up on leaderboards in recent weeks on the PGA Tour. So to see him up there again, he was not a completely unknown name to myself and I guess to a lot of other people who watch the PGA Tour regularly but he's not a guy that you would say is a superstar of the game, he's not somebody who has been a regular tournament winner, he has been uh, obviously uh, a very consistent player, a very good player, uh, but not one you would have talked about in advance yet coming down the stretch, I just couldn't help but be impressed Phil, by his composure and of course everybody who wins Golf tournaments makes a lot of putts, crucial putts down the stretch, and he made a lot of crucial putts down the stretch, particularly when he got himself into some trouble. Yeah, it really is, um, you know, someone to keep an eye on. You're not a superstar yet, 
Pete, not a superstar yet, but <laughs> everyone that wins a handful of majors wins their first one at some stage. And, um, you know, a little irony here, uh, the guy that he out-jeweled in, in McElroy, uh, and, you know, throw Scheffler and Ricky Fowler and a number of other different names in there as well, but McElroy is probably the one that a lot of people had their eye on throughout the course of yesterday, throughout the course of the week, to be fair. He won his first tournament at the Wells Fargo tournament at, in Charlotte. Uh, that's where Wyndham Clark won his first tournament just under two months ago. Uh, and his next tournament win for McElroy was his very first US Open. Wyndham Clark has kind of followed that exact same trajectory with his first two wins on tour. Yeah, he's 29 years of age, and this was only his seventh major championship. So when you have a look at Ryan, again, I come back to Ryan, you know, he's, he's played in less than half of the major championships that Ryan's played in, yet now he's a major champion. So, um, you know, not a superstar yet, but now he's guaranteed 10 years worth of US Opens. He's guaranteed being in all of the major championships for the next five years. He's probably going to be on the Ryder Cup, which means he's rubbing shoulders with with all of the best players in, in the international, sorry, in the, in the US and the European teams. Um, you know, you, he's, he would have rocketed. I haven't seen exactly where he is on the, the FedEx Cup standings, but he would have rocketed inside of the top 10 on that. Uh, he, all of a sudden, he's put himself in a totally different sphere. Uh, his game has always been pretty handy from uh, tee to green. He's always been a nice ball striker, swings the club nicely. But, it, you know, the odd loose shot has always befelled him. Uh, what I found really interesting in learning a little bit more about Wyndham Clark, and I've seen him play, um, but but I, I didn't know this that he'd actually, the, with the swing coaches and mental coaches that he'd been working with in the last few years, felt like uh, when it was good, it was great, uh, but when it was um, a little off, he didn't know enough about his game to be able to be consistent over four days, and so he's actually gone back to just working on his own. He's actually said, no, thanks to the coaches. I've got to try and figure it out myself. And uh, so for the last 12 months or so, he's been coachless, um, doing his own thing, finding out a bit more about his game, and has felt like he's at diff difficult moments, as you say, the difficult moments when the, when the pressure comes on, when his ball striking would disappear, he then found a way to f rely on his short game and, and make the crucial putts down the stretch. And so I think his game is, is certainly more rounded out. He didn't have it absolutely perfect over the weekend, but he hit the crucial shots when he needed to, a couple of key tee shots, and his, uh, his short game was in spectacular shape. So um, seems like for 29 years of age, his game is just starting to, to mature. He's starting to mature, and maybe we should keep an eye on him over the next few years. All right. What about McElroy? What is it? Nine years since he last won a major championship. Mm. Twenty fourteen, he had the world at his feet. But you go nine years. I mean, I know lots of people have gone long times between majors, but for a guy who has been up there contending, sometimes even at number one in the world, to have not won a big tournament, one of the big four for the best part of a decade now, that must be immensely frustrating. And there he was, so near, yet um, so far. Uh, in this US Open tournament again? Yeah, look, it, it had all of the same sort of feels about it as the old course last year uh, when he was leading going into the final round of the, of the Open. 
like he just got stalled. Um, had enough good shots. I think he hit what, 14 or 15 greens in regulation yesterday, but only made one birdie, a two-putt on the very first hole. And so uh, the greens started getting very glassy, very dry, very, uh, very crispy, and it looked a little bit like Rory started getting a little bit defensive with his putting. Um, it was a really bad bogey that he made on the par five on the back nine. Uh, the, uh, with a wedge in hand, looked like he got just a little, little gust of breeze, little mishit, and all of a sudden the the errors, uh, sorry, the margin for error is just so fine on that golf course yesterday that it was probably one one shot that he was looking at making birdie and he ended up making bogey and the difference was one at the at the end of the day. Look, you're right, nine years. It's hard to even imagine and comprehend that McElroy hasn't won a won a big one. In, in nine years. If you go back nine years ago, <laughs> there's a whole heap of tra- things that have changed in the game, um, but McElroy's major tally hasn't moved. And so th- th- there are things about his game that make me feel like he's a little bit closer, Pete. It, it feels like, geez, he's going to contend each and every major championship. He just feels like there some of the weaknesses in his game have been sorted out, but it may well have just been this golf course too. Didn't have to hit driver everywhere. Had a lot more three woods, five woods off some of the tees. Got a bit more aggressive with his driver over the weekend. Um, but yeah, who would have who would have thought that uh, McElroy would nearly go a decade? Well, we're going to be rolling around to that next year. We'll see at Liverpool. That is a golf course that he has won an Open on. Um, that's where they're heading back in a few weeks' time. Uh, he did say, really interesting quote, and you would have seen this too, that he'd go 100 more Sundays like yesterday to get one Sunday where he gets his hands on a major t- championship <laughs> trophy. So um, let's hope it's not another 100 <laughs> Sundays uh, for his sake, but um, but yet certainly an egg that he wants to crack. Well, what it does show is that uh, nine years on, the fire is still in the belly. But, you know, I've watched in the last couple of weeks. Uh, he had a chance to win in Canada again, didn't he? He had a chance to win the US Open. In the end, he came up short on both occasions. And, you know, that that just doesn't seem right for a guy of his record, for a guy of his uh, ability, for a guy of his, uh, his, uh, his winning talent. But we will hope because I know he's got a lot of fans out there and I'm one of them. Uh, I've got a lot of hope that he's going to be back in the winner's circle in the big time again. All right, well, we'll talk about uh, the Open Championship in a few weeks' time, but while I've got you, Phil, uh, let's talk about some other sporting issues, eh? Uh, Let's talk about those Crusaders, and I know a team (laughs) that you're pretty keen on, those Chiefs. Uh, Only one team had a convincing win in the semis, Phil. What do you think that means for the final? Yeah, it was really one-sided traffic on last Friday night, wasn't it, with uh, the Crusaders? They they looked very bit every bit the uh, Crusaders that have been title champions in the past playing finals footy that uh, just got up over the Blues and within 20 minutes they, uh, you know, I don't think the Blues knew what, what had struck them and what, what planet that they were on. It was a totally different pace of, of footy and, um, you know, the, the, the forward pack of the the. You know, they, they, we know they've got some stars in, in the back line, but the, the forward pack of the Crusaders just monstered the Blues. And um, I don't think anyone was surprised by that, maybe other than the the, 
the Blues forward pack themselves, they looked like they were they were a little surprised. Um, but for the Chiefs, yeah, they looked they they played pretty mature footy. I think the, this team is a little different than than years gone by, and they've been title winners in the in the past. But it feels like they were a little bit more patient. It was a bit of a, a an ugly night, to be fair. A lot of rain and um, the ball was slippery, and the field was, you know, pretty unpredictable at times. But uh, and a tough Brumbies team too. It must be said, in in my assessment. Um, but it looked like they were patient. They just absorbed. They they backed their defence. They they stayed. They, they figured that the game was probably going to be decided upon on a couple of moments. Uh, the key thing was knocking up some points when you got down into the into the scoring zone. Um, maybe less less kicking for the corner and all the flash for the Chiefs and, and and you know picking them off in threes, which ended up getting to them to that what 65th, 70th minute where the momentum just changed a little bit. A couple of Finishes came on for the Chiefs, made a couple of key plays, and next minute it's 19-6. So unconvincing, but but patient. Um, and so I guess it'll be interesting to see what style of play both teams bring, given that um, they've already played each other twice this year when it comes to this weekend's final. And on both occasions, uh, the Chiefs won, didn't they, Phil? So does that make them does that make them favourites going in against these perennial champions, the the Robertson Crusaders? I think it most probably does on um, on this year's form, but uh, when it comes to a final, this year's form probably means nothing, right? The, the top two teams in the competition. One team has won a couple of titles. The other one's won. I can't remember how many. I, I, you know, you kind of lose count, really, to be fair. Um, and they're, you know, they they play for this last couple of games of the year. If they can kind of get into those, they're they they consider themselves the favourite each time. And so, regardless of what's been spoken about with the their in, injury count, you know, the, the the Chiefs are playing at home. The Chiefs were the number one side. I think when you get to a final. And there's one team that's that everyone in the competition knows. Everyone who's not even in the competition that follows rugby knows that Crusaders, if they get to a final, are the uh, you know odds-on favourites. And so uh, it was going to be a hell of a game. It really will be because I think there's contrasting styles of play. Um, it'd be really interesting to see the coaching. I think the Blues got out-coached last week with with Robertson, Hanson, and Co. Um, McMillan is a is a is a star coach and really well respected by uh, the Chiefs organisation and a number of people around the game. And so I think he's, you know, he's, he's certainly got the ear of a number of his not only star players but young players. They've been rewarded by a number of them get selected by the All Blacks in the All Blacks 15 this week. And so uh, he will he, he has a great ability of bringing guys back down to ground earth and um, starting a scratch, whether it be finals week or the first week of the year. So um, naturally, as a Chiefs fan, I want the Chiefs to get up, but it's going to be interesting the the contrasting styles of play that might be brought and how that meshes uh, in the final. Yes, I had a little bit to do with Clayton McMillan when I was uh, living in in the mountain. He was coach of Bay of Plenty. This is when 2018, and I was doing a bit of work for the Bay of Plenty Times uh, during that season. And... You meet Clayton McMillan and you see a very modest, 
uh, almost shy man. He's an ex-policeman, uh, very, very withdrawn, not overly effusive, but he has a really deep rugby brain, you think, after, what, 100 and something games on the back of the scrum for Bay of Plenty. A man who I think has been obviously underrated, low-key sort of guy, and I think uh, a potential all-black coach of the future. I, I think this guy's got a hell of a lot to offer New Zealand rugby in the years to come, and this is going to be his first, well, is it his first big moment on the on the, uh, on the national stage, I suppose you would say it is. So I'd just be really intrigued to see how his charges go for him. So have you met him at all, Phil? Uh, only once, Pete, uh, and haven't spent a lot of time around um, around Clayton, but I think all of what you say is exactly the, the, the character description. Um, and that some of that has rubbed off on some of his players, I think. Uh, some of those, that, you know, and I'm, I'll mention Damien McKenzie uh, in that has the flair, has the the character, the personality that has a game that's very, very much, um, you know, plays by his instincts and and is not a cookie cutter, is not pre-descriptive uh, in a way. Um, but I I can see the the maturity in McKenzie's game. Um, you know, a lot of people were, you know, and it's not a great spectacle as a fan. Um, with the, the kicking for territory and, and playing force back. But observing, I was there on, on uh, Saturday night and just observing how the, the use of that tactic in finals footy and um, and if you use it well, how you can turn it A into points but turn it into to territory and also turn it into, um, you know, an offense, offensive play, attacking play when you don't have the ball. And, um, and I think those are the hallmarks of, of McMillan, that he's he's saying, hey, we don't have to have the ball. We don't have to hog it the whole time. They've certainly worked on their defence. They've got some tremendous uh, tight forwards, loose forwards that are doing a lot of hard yards. Um, but they back themselves. They're having fun playing the game that's right in front of them. Um, but they're doing it in a in a way that they're really mature about it. They're really humble. They're really modest. They respect their opposition. And at times, I think that the Chiefs have played just a bit too flashy because they've had all the guns, and they try to use them all the time. Um, I think he's he's brought that calm and said, "Hey, the the guns can be really, really useful, effective, if you use them just at the right times, not every time." Indeed. Talking of uh, star players, players with flair at the Chiefs, could you believe that Sean Stevenson didn't make the full all-black squad? I know he's in there as a cover, and he might even get a run, I don't know. But to me, he's been the, <laughs> he's been the star outside back of the year, yet they don't pick him. I, I, I don't get that. What do you think? Yeah, look, it's a really interesting mix, isn't it? And um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pleased that he, he, he will get some time in the environment, and, uh, and I think they you know, need to see what what he can bring and I think I guess for himself McLeod, uh, Nariwa uh, getting opportunities to be inside the all black environment and see what, what opportunities might come. You know that there's going to be some injuries, you know, you know that there you know, probably is going to be some opportunities for those players that are, um, that are around the fringe um, listening to Foster saying hey we've got 36 names here we need 33 in, in a couple of months time and so it's going to be interesting to see which ones get dropped. But uh, look, Stevenson's had a tremendous super super campaign. Um, I, I personally, I wasn't surprised 
Um, I think there's a style of player that they're really looking for, and and you know I think there's probably a few all rounders that are in that that outside back combination. When you have a look at Jordan, that can play a couple of positions. You you have it, Geordie Barrett, that can probably play everything uh, in the back line other than half back. To be fair, and um, you know other players that that can play dual roles. Uh, at the back there, like like a Bowden Barrett and, and Damian McKenzie, and so you know there's a lot of cover uh, in in the the areas that that Stevenson brings in fullback and wings. So I wasn't surprised to see that he wasn't a first name uh, on the list, but I, I'm also happy that he's got an opportunity here to be inside the environment, and see what he can bring. Alrighty, Phil. Well, great to talk to you again. Uh, we look forward to the final on Saturday night. I. I I think there's an all-black training camp uh, in the town that you live in at the moment in Mount Monganui going on this week, but with no Crusaders and no Chiefs there, <laughs> one wonders what these guys will be doing. But I suppose they could have a few seven-a-side games because that's about all that's left, I suppose, out there. But anyway, uh, thank you for, for talking with us. I understand you're actually off to, uh, off to Hawaii for a, a milestone birthday, not for you, but for the other Important part of the family, so uh, you go to yeah, be, important be, part be, of the family. Be out of town for the rugby final. The, the birthday that you really should celebrate, right, Pete? Uh, you can kind of do without, you know, blowing out the candles in your own cake, but you've got to make sure that she has a uh, has the right birthday. So yes, we're looking forward to having a little bit of sun and a little bit of warmth and a little bit of time out of uh, out of New Zealand, and um, and then it's going to be a pretty busy summer sporting schedule in the northern hemisphere that. Uh, no doubt we'll um, spend some time talking about it in the weeks to come. Indeed. Do you take your golf clubs when you go to Hawaii with your wife for her 50th birthday, Phil, or not? Look, Pete, the line's just starting to crack out a little bit. Um, I've I got I, I to go. I, I, don't, I don't know whether those are going to make the trip or not, but um, look, I've got a big bag in the back of the car. That's all I can say. Ah, very good. Enjoy your time. We'll talk to you before the Open Championship. <laughs> good being with you. Likewise, Pete. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even better, if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now.